hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I sit down with the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Special shout out as we get started here today to a brand new member of the FOA community, my good friend Keith Heidecorn. Really appreciate it, Keith. And if you're listening and would like to support both this show and join a community of some of the sharpest minds in agriculture, join Keith over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Well, I think we can all agree that sustainability that comes at the expense of productivity and efficiency is really not truly sustainable at all. As the conversations surrounding things like carbon sequestration get elevated, it's really important for all of us to keep this fact in mind. I mean, we're going to need to meld together what's best for both productivity and profitability of growers with these ecosystem services if they're going to stick around. You're going to hear an example of a quite literal merging of these two things on the podcast here today. Just recently, ag tech company Fluorosat announced they acquired another ag tech company, Dagan, and the combined company is now rebranded under a new name called Regrow. You might remember Fluorosat founder Anastasia Volkova from her first appearance on this podcast back in episode 175. She joins us again today, now as CEO of Regrow, along with Dagan co-founder and now Regrow chief strategy officer, Bill Salas. Now, hopefully all of that made sense, but if not, bear with me here. It will all come together here for you in a minute, I think. First, though, I want to make sure you know that one of my favorite ag podcasts, Fieldwork, is back for an all-new season. Co-hosts Mitchell Hora and Zach Johnson, who you may remember from episode 205 last year, are back to talk all things sustainable ag. This season, they'll tackle financing farm innovation, carbon markets, new sustainability standards in crops like cotton, and so much more. They're also doing a special focus on Washington County, Iowa, where Mitchell lives and farms and which has a very strong conservation culture. What's the special sauce? Well, listen and find out. Episodes drop weekly on Wednesdays. You can find them at fieldworktalk.org or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show and best of luck on this new season of Fieldwork. So today you're going to hear from Anastasia and Bill from the newly formed company Regrow. Both of them are accomplished scientists as well as entrepreneurs, so we have a great conversation here about why this merger made sense, what differentiates their carbon model, called DNDC, from other ways to model carbon sequestration, and how the newly combined and rebranded company will help growers maximize productivity, profitability, and sustainability. All right, enough with the buzzwords here. I'm going to drop you into this conversation where both co-founders are providing a little bit of context about their backgrounds. I have been involved in um, food and ag tech startups for good six to eight years now, working for one, co-founding a, a smaller startup in the kind of a food content space around awareness of how people produce food. We've built software platforms, started kind of smaller businesses before. Then I moved to Sydney to do my PhD, and this is where I really delved deeper into the remote sensing data sets, as well as lived in the massive agricultural country, which is Australia, and realized that those two things had something in common, that agronomists could benefit from the data coming from space at large acres, and we could make better decisions to grow more with less. Good deal. And Bill? Yeah, Tim, uh, pleasure to meet you. So uh, Bill Salas, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Regrow. My background is, I was originally trained in mathematics and physics. 
then worked at, um, at NASA at the Jet Propulsion Lab, and that's where I got interested in remote sensing. I was working on planetary science projects. And then during that process began an interest in climate change and understanding how agriculture and forestry impact climate change. And so moved to the University of New Hampshire, where I was a research researcher for about a decade. That's where I got interested in actually in soil health, believe it or not. Had the pleasure of working with an amazing scientist, Chung-Shin Lee, who developed a tool called the DNC model, which sort of relates management to soil health outcomes, carbon yield variability and greenhouse gas emissions. And so recognizing the the value and importance of that research, I started a couple of companies to work on tech transfer. How can we take the research out to pragmatic implementation of the research, which is highly complex, but in a way that can help stakeholders in agriculture understand how they manage the land and how it influences outcomes. So formed Dagan. I was a co-founder of Dagan, where I was the CEO, and we've recently just merged with Florisat to form Regrow, where I'm the chief strategy officer and, and really sort of building our strategy on how these high-tech tools can help build the value proposition for soil health at scale. Excellent. Okay. I've got so many questions. We're going to try to get to as many as we can today. Uh, but Bill, so how does this model that you were a part of building differ from like Comet, which I know was developed at Colorado State and, and used in, I think the USDA perhaps uses it, but how are those two models different? Um, in some ways, they're they're similar, but also different. I mean, the objectives of the tools are pretty similar. So build a model infrastructure that understands how management, tillage, cover cropping, fertilizer, influences soil health outcomes and carbon. I would say DNC's approach is a bit different in the sense that it tries to understand or simulates how soil microbes react to the soil environment. So greenhouse gas emissions are actually produced by microbes. They're a byproduct of microbial processes. Soil carbon turnovers are driven by decomposition or respiration driven by microbes. So DNC's approach is much more, I would say, first principles on how management influences soil environment, which in turn influences which microbes are more active and drives the outcomes in terms of soil carbon turnover and greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a bit more mechanistic. Um, they're very similar in many ways in terms of the purpose of the tools. Okay. And longtime listeners will already have an introduction into Florisat, but from Dagan's perspective, so it sounds like you took this model that you developed, you uh, commercialized it with your own company. And so who were your customers? Were you working with the people who wanted to sell carbon credits or buy carbon credits to just validate how much carbon is being sequestered? Or what was Dagan's business you know, prior to Regrow? Yeah. So I would say we worked with four main clients. Carbon markets. So we work very closely with, for example, the Ecosystem Service Market Consortium. They did an evaluation of tools and selected DNDC and our satellite monitoring tool for their program. We worked with consumer packaged goods companies that were setting corporate targets for sustainable sourcing, but didn't really have the data to understand their baseline. You know, when you're sourcing oats from northern Minnesota or Manitoba, for example, it's hard to understand what is the current baseline in soil health management. So we work closely with consumer packaged goods companies to use our satellite monitoring and DNC to track that. We also work closely with NGOs. You know, their own research programs are working in the policy space, and they're looking for you know 
basic information on, on soil health, where we stand. So the Nature Conservancy has been a, a key thought partner of ours along the way. And then lastly, we work closely with research groups that are interested in these data products to help support their research, including social scientists that are interested, you know, why are certain patterns of cover cropping unfolding across the landscape compared to others? What is the social process of, you know, farmers adopting more cover cropping? Is there aspects of the landscape that's driving that? So we support that research as well. Excellent. And Anastasia, from, from your perspective, maybe take us back to Florosat before, you know, the regrow activity and tell us about kind of where the company was at that time and what sort of void, if you will, this helps fill. Yeah, exactly. Where was the company at the time? We, over the course of 2020, maybe starting, you know, even two years before, we were seeing the direction that the market is likely going to take in the sustainability direction that was. And as someone who's European, perceive those sustainability metrics as something that is effectively a license to farm. It's also the case in New Zealand. Whilst in the US, um, it's uh, currently incentivized to be adopting these practices. Well, it was kind of a little bit new to me that you could, for example, get the benefit from the farm bill without necessarily adhering to some of those practices, which is not the case with the CAP program in Europe, for example. So with Florisat, we saw that the likely void was going to form is around the decision support. So we always in four years dedicate ourselves solely to understanding the hard problems that agronomists and crop advisors and soil health scientists need to solve for their farmers, how to solve them at scale with as accurate, as scientifically valid methodology as you can apply that would still scale and be cost-effective. And we saw that that divergence or that, that gap between we can't just be optimizing for the yield there is definitely the consumer trend of we want to understand how the food is produced and the production of the food that leads to better environmental outcomes will be rewarded. And more and more crop advisors are starting to ask these questions, more and more food brands. We found ourselves um, where we actually had one of the contracts signed with one of the large food processors where we specifically uh, were delivering the sustainability monitoring. Um, and that program will start this year, but we have come to that agreement last year. And we understood that who is doing it out there? Who's better than us in doing it out there? Because we've built a sustainability monitoring, working at it for a year. And we actually have learned about Bill and his team's work that they've tested this out and it has actually built out for a couple of years already. We saw that by adding the sustainability monitoring to agronomy and marrying our crop model with the DNDC soil model, it would make the complete process from planting to the next planting, not just to harvest, but through the either the fallow period or the period of winter cover crops. And we could understand fully the nitrogen and carbon cycles in the soil, understand where it would be profitable to start adopting these practices. And it could form this decision support tool that our customers are, are seeking, as well as connect players across the supply chain. It's not just the agronomist and the crop advisors who need to make these decisions, but as Bill just described, he has the relationships with the uh, consumer packaged goods companies or the 
ecosystem service uh, promoting organizations such as Nature Conservancy, who are, you know, a, a brilliant team there, like across the supply chain, people rally around these outcomes. And if we can bring them together, given the platform that has consistent monitoring, measurement and verification, this really empowers us to agree on what's being measured and make a big difference. Excellent. And Bill, how did all this come about and why was this exciting from a Dagan perspective? Yeah, well, it, it came about through just our network of our partners. And so Dagan was really interested in how do we create the value proposition for soil health at scale? And so we really focused on a couple of the barriers, which is scientifically rigorous ability to quantify outcomes at the field scale, but consistently over large acreages to how we can monitor the landscape with satellites to provide information to support that market in a cost-effective way. But we quickly realized there's two missing pieces in this, and Anasatsu has already covered that to a certain extent. But one is we have to link the sustainability with the agronomy, right? I mean, yes, there's value in enhancing ecosystem services, but if we, we don't address the agronomy side of things, we're going to have a disconnect for the growers at getting to scale. Two, you know, we really focused on creating data and information. We did not have a platform that takes that very complex information and presents it in a way that can be consumed by the various stakeholders. And that's where the Fluorescence platform comes in. Fluorescent has worked with a lot of different clients on customizing that platform to meet their needs. And so that was a ready-made way of taking our sort of very detailed data and information, but providing it to the various stakeholders in, in the ag supply chain. So those are the two main excitements. Plus, we just were like-minded and, and have uh, synced up on, on the mission on what we're trying to do and why it's, why it's so important. Well, I want to get into the weeds a little bit later about the carbon and sustainability uh, side of things. But before we do, was this always an acquisition conversation or did this start off like, hey, is there a way we could work together? And then when did it become sort of an acquisition type conversation? I'll take a stab at that. And of course, want to have uh, Bill share his thoughts. So from our perspective, we've seen that the Dagan's team has gone out to their board and their advisors seeking a CEO and the business team to support their brilliant science and traction and the engineering platform. And we saw that holistic synergy, but from our perspective, we definitely felt that this is a better together story, but it has to be very deeply coupled. We can't run it from two sides without making it one tool to the point where your sustainability metrics depend on your agronomy metrics, your carbon quantification depends on your agronomy. So everything needs to sit on the same database. This is what we've been uh, working on the last several months. So you can't really imagine that to be successful if it's decoupled, it has to be feeding off of each other. That's where we saw the opportunity. Yeah, maybe I'll add on to that. I mean, from a very similar perspective, you know, we saw two key needs for us to help achieve our mission, which is scaling, right? And so early on, I was the interim CEO at Dagan with the goal of finding someone that can help sort of lead the business side of things because my passion is the science and how that leads to the strategy. So we were looking for a CEO, as Anastasia mentioned, but also recognized that we needed to scale rapidly. And another, you know, 
calling card of the Floresat team was their strong engineering bench, which will help us scale very quickly. So, you know, as we began those discussions, it very quickly was clear to me that, no, this is more than just a B2B type partnership. This could be, you know, a marriage that would result in, you know, a new company that can really scale quickly. And and it's turning out to be the case as we get going on this. So it's it's exciting. So, Bill, I know you kind of mentioned those clear needs that this new arrangement obviously fills, but was getting acquired kind of on your radar as a possibility, you know, of how you might accomplish those goals? Um, yeah, I would say we didn't set out explicitly to be acquired. We were sort of looking for the right partnerships. You know, we had planned to raise capital to grow the company, but during the discovery process, it was clear that this partnership was the fastest way to get to where we needed to get to. And because we're so mission focused, you know, it was not an issue about being acquired or not. It was how do we get to where we want to be? Because this is such a pressing issue and and the opportunity is now to do this right, we think. So while we weren't seeking to be acquired, we are happy to have been acquired through this process because it, it helps us achieve our, our goals and our mission. And does Regrow have exclusivity when it comes to DNDC? It does. Um, so I was at the University of New Hampshire for a little over a decade when we began developing the model and acquired the commercial rights to the model from the university. And we actually refactored the entire model. It was a sort of a typical research code, 130,000 lines of spaghetti code. Chunction was an amazing scientist. He was not a software engineer. So we spent some significant effort to take that science, preserve the science, but put it in a software engineering framework that's scalable so that we can do millions of acres seamlessly and consistently across large acres. So, yes. And Anastasia, from your end, had Florosat already acquired a company before? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. So you've kind of been down this road before then. Is that something that you were actively looking you know, for another acquisition to get into this area of sustainability and carbon? Tim, as, as you know, we've known each other for a while. I'm very logical. And exactly as, as Bill said, like we have a mission, we have a lot of work to do. And if we can bring forward some of this innovation for the industry, I feel it's our duty. Like we need to figure out how to do this because this needs to be done in a scientifically valid way because otherwise there will be lots of takers in this new space who will take shortcuts and not necessarily go through the scientific rigor and validation. And I'm not a proponent of that. Hence, even instead of trying to develop the tool that we have regionally internally created that fulfilled that large first contract, we saw that this is secondary in quality and validation to what Dagan had. And we felt that it's important to bring the best to the market as fast as we can because market is moving very quickly. Everyone wants to capitalize on this opportunity. And the adoption of right tools that are ready versus things that are easier to adopt but not necessarily validated can be make it or break it for carbon markets in agriculture. That's our opinion. Um, and so we're not, you know, on the lookout for acquisitions per se for just the sake of it, but we see good tools, we see good products. And since the COVID started, a lot of deals have come across my desk. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've been hearing that a lot. And actually, we're even seeing it. it just this week, we're seeing some some of this consolidation sort of happen, which is, I think it's a healthy part of the maturation of the industry and certainly makes a ton of sense strategically in talking to you. I wonder, what did some of the service providers that were already using the Fluorosense tool, you know, what was their reaction? Yeah, I think that's my favorite part of the story. Everyone is so excited. They just see it makes total sense. And we're so happy because we're very, you know, careful about really understanding. It might be my vision, but I want to make sure that this makes sense for the customers. It might be Bill's mission, but also he's coming from one end of the supply chain. We're bringing another end of the supply chain. We're kind of gluing them together with one tool. And it turns out they actually already work together and want us to do this for them. And I think this is just the best part that when the customers are already trying to figure out a solution and you've spent in parallel on your own end many months figuring out this solution and you see that someone's built it like that was the light bulb that went off in my head when I first saw the Dagon tech like I would have built just this we should be together (laughs) and this is what our customers want right well, I'll take a break here from berating you with, you know, acquisition type questions and, and let's zoom out a little bit. And Bill, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. Is there a danger, for lack of a better word, in overemphasizing carbon as the metric for sustainability and um, maybe kind of losing the uh, essence of sustainability in an overfocus on carbon? I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand the exuberance around soil carbon sequestration these days because of not only its issue on climate impacts, but also the co-benefits that go with it, right? And so the water quality improvements, the improvements in, in yield resilience. So there's many co-benefits that go along with building organic matter in the soil. I do think that some of that exuberance is forgetting that not only do we want to enhance soil carbon, but we also need to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. And some of that mitigation approach can be very economically viable having to do with nitrogen management and the relationship between soil carbon management. So it's exciting that there's so much focus, right? Because soil carbon and organic matter increases have so many co-benefits and can be addressed for most global systems, we can enhance soil carbon. The naysayers are like, well, it's so hard to measure. Yes, it's very difficult to measure right now. And there's technologies that are being developed to improve that. But there's also this issue, well, it could be reversed. You go back and you know, you till the soils later on, you might lose some of that carbon. So how are the markets going to deal with that? So I, my thought is, yes, we have the technologies to do this now. We will improve our ability to quantify at scale. We'll improve our ability to measure. Yes, there will be cases where there will be some reversals, but the benefit of drawing down carbon now and the co-benefits that go with it outweigh those possible scenarios where you get some reversals. I mean, the, the forest carbon industry went through that same sort of issue, and there actually has not been significant reversals of forest carbon stocks associated with pests or fires. And I think as agriculture sort of has the systems for managing new carbon stocks, the value will be there that will reduce incentives that might release carbon through going back and retilling the soils. There will be some cases for pests and other issues, but I think that in the short term, the benefits outweigh the, the potential negatives over time. Yeah. And Anastasia, did you want to add on to that? Yeah, I was going to say that 
Indeed, when you look at other markets outside of the U.S., how the sustainability has been handled in New Zealand, they account for nitrogen, carbon and scope three emissions of the farm. I think this is really a true perspective on this is how farm as a business is emitting greenhouse gases, not just looking at the amount of carbon sequestered in the soil. But it is an exciting starting point when we change the narrative from climate change denial to actually let's try to figure out how to solve this problem step by step and incentivize our agricultural system to go in that direction. So we definitely see that this is a positive direction, but this is a direction. It's a stepping stone in that direction. It's not the end game on its own because as Bill mentioned for us, the big goal that we're going to achieve hopefully together as Regrow is bring the nitrogen expertise of Florisat together with the carbon expertise of Dagan and really grok that sustainability piece in conjunction like one with another because nutrition management and carbon sequestration they're very very closely linked but this science is still evolving how much you know the how the cover crops um, help us improve the nitrogen balance in the soil etc so it's really the next frontier so it's great that we have the attention to carbon we will learn how to better quantify it and narrow down the uncertainties but this is a stepping stone towards having cleaner water and less emissions on the farm, ultimately, and more to biodiversity as well. Yeah. And speaking of kind of quantifying this, you know, Bill, for your model to work, what are the minimum data points you need for the model to actually generate how much carbon is being sequestered? Yeah. So, so if you think about what's the balance of soil carbon stocks or what drives soil carbon stock changes... It think of it in sort of two, two different ways. It's the amount of organic matter going into the soils and how quickly that is turning over. So information on crop growth is critical because the crops are providing the organic matter through root exudates, through root biomass, through residues. And we can monitor a lot of that from space. The other is the disturbance. How do you change the soil environment, which affects the rates of decomposition? So again, that's tillage management for the most part. And, you know, we can actually track a lot of that from space so we can really reduce the transaction costs. I think one of the key barriers right now is to have good maps of soil carbon stocks right now, right? The models, even if you have a perfect model that can model exactly soil carbon stock changes, if you have garbage in, you have garbage out. We need good carbon initialization data. And that's where there's sort of innovative technologies to do in-situ carbon measurements that will reduce the costs of soil carbon stock measurement. And I think that is one of the key barriers right now for carbon markets is the cost of measuring soil carbon stocks to initialize the tools. And that would just be a one-time baseline to start? Yes. that's At, at a minimum, some of the markets are looking at remeasuring five to 10 years down the road. And that's in part because until we can demonstrate with precision, the accuracy of the models, that just provides more confidence back to the market. So there's value there for confidence in the market, but also for testing and improving these tools. And I've heard that the most accurate way to do that right now is to literally take a soil sample and blow it up and see how much carbon comes out of it. Is that right? Or is that just something I like to think about? <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's, that's right. They basically combust the carbon in the soils to estimate soil carbon structs. And so it's in the lab. So when taking the carbon to the lab means you have to go out and dig soil cores, send the soil cores to the lab, do the analytics, bring the data back. 
And so there's, there's an effort afoot to do in situ measurements that will be slightly more uncertain, but we'll find the right balance between the cost of the measurements and acceptable uncertainty to serve these markets. And of the data points that Bill mentioned, Anastasia, how many of them are data points that you are already tying into the, the fluorescence tool? Yeah, this is really where the synergy um, comes in play. Um, the ability to draw some of this data directly and linking our fire management system partners and customers of those fire management systems directly to this process is really what makes this system beautiful for all. Because not only you have the data on the farm that you've been collecting, and we know the true quality of that data. So, you know, let's not pretend it's perfect. But at the same time, it has its own value. And when you bring it into the system that can do its own verification, when it can say, yes, indeed, we have detected that you haven't tilled all of these years and you have planted cover crops and your farm equipment data conforms with that, fantastic, that reduces our uncertainty because you have additional data that brings validation to those who will be consuming those estimates down the road, whether you're applying for carbon credits or for sustainable certification of your operation. A lot of these data points that need to be fed into the carbon model with DNDC is exactly what the agronomy crop model produces that we have. You need to understand, as Bill said, how the crop is growing, what the yield has been, what the interaction with the soil nitrogen has been. That's exactly what what we're already good at. So we're bringing a good crop model, merging it with best-in-class soil model. And that really simplifies life a lot because you are not just taking one estimate and putting them in another model to get more estimates. Like you can look at the real farm data in a very direct way if it's available. If not, you know what the baselines should look like for that region and you can feed them into the model and both reduce the uncertainty and the error in feeding that information in as well as in a scalable way, localize it for different areas. So we're able to produce different estimates on different farms across the country natively because we know different crops and different soils that grow there in different practices. And in addition to, I know, you know, Bill had said a lot about the, the satellite, you could get a lot of the data you need from satellite once you have that initial measurement of how much carbon is in the soils. And then I know, you know, Fluorosat is also pulling data from machinery. What other data points, you know, if a farmer's really going to maximize their return here, what other data points would be helpful for you uh, or for the, the service provider who's using this tool? Yeah, for sure. You know, Basic things like tillage passes, planting of cover crops, or machinery data again. Um, additionally, if they have done the baseline on carbon, that's fantastic. And I know that a number of retailers and food processors are going to support that this year. So to kind of initialize some of the localized model runs uh, that we would not need continuous testing down the road for, which is great and, and will be a cost-effective way of initializing the system. From the farmer perspective, I would also think about good yield data always, right? Because there's this misconception right now that if you plant cover crops, this can really perturb your productivity. You know, there's been a, an, at least one study by Soil Health Institute that we've seen with some of our customers. We go into a lot of data of real farmers showing that is not the case that your corn yields improve over time when you improve soil health. And we understand that there's a little bit of turbulence in it because every season is just swinging the 
dial from total wetness into total dryness and back in. This is what climate change is, obviously. Hence, to improve the resilience, we need to build the soil health. So we think of it as the ability for the farmer to plant going forward if there is another year of flood is pretty much going to be a function of the soil health and the resilience of that land. And we see that being highly correlated with the adoption of sustainability practices. So there's lots of benefits. You should collect data on the farm in a way that is structured and you should use a farm management system. I think further down the track, the four R's will join the sustainability. So, you know, how you applied nutrition, when and where, and was it optimal, um, will enter the sustainability audit as well very quickly. And maybe I can follow up a point on that. I think, you know, another aspect of these technologies that we, you know, linking the satellite monitoring with these types of crop and soil models, you know, they're not perfect, which we know, but they provide extensive information over large landscapes. So we can begin to ask very pointed questions related to, you know, how does changes in soil health affect crop resilience? Because what we're trying to also serve is not solely ecosystem markets, but other financial levers, access to innovative finance, right? Or access to innovative crop insurance, where you can understand, okay, if I do practices X, Y, and Z, this is going to reduce my yield risk by Y, then you can sort of share that cost through innovative finance, whether it's operating capital or crop insurance. And I think that's another key financial lever to sort of help scale soil health in addition to the ecosystem markets. But they're having a hard time doing that now because they don't have the actuarial data because it requires a large amount of data because these are complex relationships between soils, specific crops, weather variability. But with these tools that can do extensive monitoring, we can actually begin to pull that together and unlock another opportunity for supporting soil health and, and food security at scale. Very interesting. I knew I would be right up against time here, and I am, of course. But Bill, you know, you've been uh, measuring soil carbon long before it was cool. So I'm sure in in like the recent hype around this, there's been some misconceptions or misinformation or stuff that just causes you to roll your eyes out there. Talk to us about that. What do you think about the recent attention that your work has gotten? And uh, what misconceptions out there can we maybe clear up in our last few minutes? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited by the attention that it's achieving. I do think, you know, we have to be transparent on what we do know, what we can quantify now, and not overpromise. But I am convinced that the markets will embrace the uncertainty as long as we're transparent and consistent in how we report. You know, a model gives you a number, 1.2 tons. What does that mean? And, you know, Markets know how to deal with uncertainty. So what I think the most important thing for us to do to have fungible carbon markets is to have consistency in how we report uncertainty and so that the buyers know what they're getting. I don't think we have to operate say we have to hit this level of uncertainty, otherwise we don't have a market. No, we need to have consistency in how we quantify uncertainty. So what scares me is, you know, there's numbers being thrown out there that don't have any associated uncertainty with it. And so that that's what scares me, I think, at this point. And I think the market will demand it over time. So, you know, it's an exciting time. There's a lot more science that we need to figure out. 
But we know enough to begin to move the needle on creating financial opportunities for enhancing soil health and soil carbon and all the associated co-benefits. So it's exciting. But, uh, you know, achieving some of the aspirational goals like the four per mil, it's a great aspirational goal to have it out there. It's achieved, I think, its intention, which is focus on soil carbon as a potential lever to address climate change. Will we hit that target? Likely not. But it's just an aspirational target, I think, and it, it brings the appropriate attention. So, yeah. Where my mind's going too is, you know, once we do have, like you said, fungible carbon markets, then we can start to put a premium on, well, how much is uh, agricultural production worth if we can also, along with it, validate how much carbon is being sequestered in the process of growing it? And does that create a differentiated product for the farmer? where they don't have to detach the carbon sequestered from the underlying asset of the production itself. So anyway, that's that's a future episode. Anastasia, I'll give you the chance to provide some final thoughts unless Bill wants to chime in after you. Thank you so much for having us. I think we're really excited about the space. We want to make sure that agriculture gets a chance to get it right, scientifically, transparently bring this sustainability excitement into operationalizable business model that scales without taking too many shortcuts on the quality and transparency. So this is what we stand for together now, combined as Regrow. And yeah, I'm inviting everyone who's excited about the same mission to connect. I'd love to. All right. Well, thank you so much again to both Anastasia and Bill from Regrow for being on the show. Go check them out and learn more at regrow.ag. A lot of interesting consolidation happening here in ag tech, and that was fun to get a glimpse of a new merger and what both kind of company founders were thinking when uh, this whole transaction took place. I'm excited for the future of Regrow. What do you think of this show? I always welcome your feedback either on Twitter or as an iTunes review or via email, tim at aggrad.com. Thanks to the Fieldwork Podcast for their support of this episode. Subscribe to that show on your podcast player or at fieldwork.org. Most of all, thank you for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.